This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Today's message is, The Day the Sun Stood Still. I had the privilege of speaking to a group of university students from Chico State. And they were quite intellectual, they were very successful academically, and yet there was a hole in their thinking. There was something missing in their worldview. So I explained that to them using a parable. The parable was about a piano. There once lived some mice in a piano, and they were trying to figure out what makes that beautiful music. So one of the brave mice was a scout, and he went and he says, I know, I went looking, and what it is, is that there's these wires, and when they vibrate, it makes beautiful music. And they accepted that theory for a while. Then another mouse went out, scouting bravely, and he came back with another theory. I know, there are these hammers that come down and hit the strings that cause the strings to vibrate, and that's what makes the beautiful music. They had all their theories of what the beautiful music was caused by, except the truth, the unseen player. And see, that's God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis 1.1. If a person does not accept Genesis 1.1, that God created the heavens and the earth, they're going to have a problem with explaining and understanding all of the other miracles in the Bible. We must believe God created the heavens and the earth. We must believe nothing is impossible with God. God can do miracles. Do you believe that? Praise be to God. We turn here to uh, Joshua chapter 10, and we see, number one, that three amazing things happened on the day the sun stood still. First of all, the Amorites, armies, joined forces to attack Gibeon. Secondly, the Gibeonites asked Joshua to save them. And thirdly, the Lord himself fights for Israel. That's the simple outline of Joshua chapter 10, the first half of it. Let's look at each of these parts. First of all, if you were to go to Gibeon today, you could see this incredible pool of Gibeon, uh, 29 feet wide and 30-something feet deep. It's it, Gibeon was a substantial city. 
It was considered a royal city. It had skilled fighters known for their bravery and their ability to uh, fight so uh, well. This great city came up with a ruse, that is, a scheme to pull the wool over the eyes of the Israelites. Although they lived three days away from where the Israelites were encamped at Gilgal, they sent a group of people who were their best actors, wearing worn-out clothes with worn-out wineskins with moldy bread, and they said, we've come from a long distance. Please make a treaty with us so that you will not destroy our people as you get victory over this land. And Joshua and the Israelites did not inquire of the Lord, which was their downfall, and they made a treaty with this people, only to find out three day, that, uh, that these people lived only three days away from where they were camped at Gilgal. They had the wool pulled over their eyes. But, even though that happened, we're going to see that Joshua and Israel were faithful to this treaty. So first of all, the Amorites joined forces to attack Gibeon. Joshua 10, 4-5. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, said uh, the king of the Amorites. And his name was Adonai Zadik which means Lord of Righteousness, but he was an impostor. He was not really that righteous. He was wanting to wipe out the Gibeonites because they defected. The Gibeonites, by making a treaty with Israel, went to the other side, and now they're allies with Israel. So he talked to the other four kings of the Amorites and said, let's join forces and wipe out the Gibeonites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lashish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. And here's a map, and it shows plainly that uh, you have right here Gibeon. Here's the camp at Gilgal. They had defeated Jericho and Ai. And so here's Gibeon. And here are the five Amorite cities. Uh, this is the first mention of Jerusalem. It used to be called Jebus. The Jebusites were there. Then you have um, Hebron and Jarmuth and Lashish and Eglon. And so um, these forces, the southern part of Canaan, all gathered against Gibeon. Gibeon was in a load of trouble, and they knew it. And so they asked Joshua to save them. Joshua 10, 6-7. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us. Because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So here's what Joshua did. Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army including all the best fighting men. Now, there's three things that are very interesting about this. Number one, even though Joshua made a mistake in making a treaty with the Gibeonites, he was a man of his word. My handshake is my promise. 
And he was a person of integrity who was going to keep that promise. Number one. Number two, there's something even more clever about this. Joshua's probably thinking it's easier to defeat the armies when they come out of their cities than to go back to each of these individual cities and fight them behind their fortifications. So there's something in this for Joshua. And then third is the grace of God. That do the Gibeonites deserve help and assistance after what they pulled off of deceiving the Joshua and the Israelites? No, but it's the grace of God that uh, we get what we don't even deserve because God is so good to us. He loves us, cares for us, protects us, delivers us. Time and time again, even when we get into problems because of our own foolishness. So, now we come to the third and most important point. The Lord himself fights for Israel. Joshua chapter 10, verses 8 to 10. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Now here's another point of grace. And I'm going to list four, at least four things that God did in fighting for Israel. Four things that God does for you. First of all, when we make a mistake, as Joshua and the Israelites make a, make, made a mistake, did God put it in their face? Did God blame them? Did God humiliate them? Did God say, I don't want anything to do with you? No. God says, I'm going to make the best of your foolish mistake to make an alliance with guilt with the Gibeonites. I'm going to give you encouragement. I'm going to give you a promise of victory. Isn't that the grace of God? You feel defeated. You feel you've blown it. You feel you made a terrible decision. You're in a mess. And God encourages you and says, I'm going to bring triumph out of tragedy. That's the grace of God. Aren't you thankful that God loves you? He cares you. He has your best interests in mind. And he's working all things for good in your life. Do you have a tragedy? Do you have a defeat? Do you have a sin? Do you have a failure or a uh, falling away where you need to hear these words? God coming to you and saying, I'm here to encourage you and to give you victory. That's our God. That's the voice of our Lord. So Joshua and his army do an all-night march from Gilgal to Gibeon. Now, this distance from Gilgal to Gibeon is about 20 miles. That means that they were hiking for about 10 hours through the night. And this is not a simple hike because they have to go up 3,200 feet. So you may not see this as a hill, but it's a hill. So imagine you're a soldier and you're an expert fighting man, but you've got to hike with your equipment 20 miles all through the night. But the benefit of that was that they caught the Amorite armies by surprise. Here's the second thing God did to fight for Israel. 
he threw the Amorites into confusion. I can see it now. There's an Amorite soldier. He gets up from his tent. (gasps) Where did that army come from? I mean, he's rubbing his eyes like, we were here, there was, there was just a barren desert thing or a hill here, and suddenly there's a whole army here. Hey, everybody, there's an army on top of us. Run for your lives! And everyone's bumping in the, into each other. It's like a comedy. They're running. Ah! They're out of control. They're confused. Where's my pants? Where's my other shoe? They are in confusion because God is fighting for Israel. Did you know that you're in spiritual warfare? The devil and the demons want to do everything they can to cause you to think God is not good. They want to do everything they can to get you to forget God, neglect God, and live in your own strength and power and actually do stuff they want you to do. They want to commandeer you and get you on their side if they could. They want to distract you. They want to derail you. You see, Satan is like a ruler. You give him an inch and he thinks he's a ruler. First he gets a toehold. Then he gets a foothold. Then he gets a stronghold. And then he gets a stranglehold. So don't give Satan an inch. You're in a spiritual battle, but you're not alone. Ephesians chapter 6 says we're to rely on the strength and the power and might of God to stand and withstand on that evil day. The only thing that allows us and makes it possible for us to stand in our spiritual battles is the strength and the might and the power of God. It's God who's fighting on our behalf. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Satan's in the world. He's the prince of the power of the world. And he's doing everything he can through the world, the flesh, and the devil to try to get us away from God. But we can stand and withstand whatever he throws at us because God is for us. And if God is for us, who can stand? Who could be against us? No one and nothing. We're more than confident through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. So we've got to realize we're in a spiritual battle. We've got to realize that God is fighting the battle for us. And one of the ways he does that is by throwing the enemy into confusion. And let me step back even more. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, shed his blood so our sins could be forgiven, he was buried. And when he was buried, he went down and he marched Satan and the demons through an arch of triumph, meaning They are the defeated foes. You can read about this in Colossians chapter 2. He nailed your sins to the cross and he marched the enemy through an arch of triumph signaling they're defeated, they're doomed, and they've got a judgment expiration date. Will they be thrown in the pit? Revelation 20 verse 10. So, Jesus already won the victory for us. We're in the mop-up operation. But still it's a battle, and we still need his involvement, and he's still working on our behalf. Demons believe in God, and they tremble, and they should, because God's working on our behalf. He threw them into confusion before Israel so that Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. 
And in verse 11 of Joshua 10, it says, As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Haron to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Is that not a miracle? A miracle is something that doesn't happen in nature naturally. God did a supernatural thing. Now, have you ever seen large hail? Some of you have great stories to tell me of the big dents in your car or the tiles that were broken on your roof because of hail that was the size of a snowball. Hail's been known to get as big as a, as a big softball. And if a softball lands on you from heaven, it could do some damage on your head. But then, hail can join together with other hail and form ice blocks. And if an ice block falls on your head, you're dead. So guess what? God did a miracle on behalf of Israel, fighting for them, having these ice blocks falling on these soldiers and wiping them out. Now that's a miracle. How do we know this is a miracle? Well, first of all, it's larger than hail that we know and have heard about. And secondly, it fell on the Amorite soldiers, not on the Israelites. Isn't that interesting? Hail is not discriminatory. I'm only going to fall on certain people, but not on other people. It had to be from God, because only the Amorite soldiers were taken out, not the Israelite soldiers. This is God fighting for Israel. Now, I'm not sure 100% of this story, it's in the back of my mind, but in the Six-Day War, when God fought for Israel, there was only like one tank in a certain spot, and I think the guy's name was Ziggy. And all he did was kept going around the hill and coming back down. And the enemy thought, man, they've got a lot of tanks. And they retreated because Ziggy kept coming around the hill. How many tanks do they have? They only had one. Isn't that God fighting for Israel? And God is fighting for you. And all he asks you to do is show up. You know, in the case of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat had three different huge armies coming against him. And you know what he said? He prayed. He says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. That's the best prayer you can pray when you're overwhelmed. It's a prayer of powerlessness to say, we don't know what to do. This is above my pay grade. I'm overwhelmed. Help! God, my eyes are on you. And you know what God said to Jehoshaphat? Just take your battle position. The battle is the Lord's. The Lord's going to fight. They took their battle positions, and God routed those people and uh, wiped them out. And it took three days for Jehoshaphat and his army to collect the spoils. There was so much left over as a reward of war. But who fought the battle? The Lord did. The battle is the Lord's. Ask the Lord to fight for you. Ask the Lord to go before you. Ask God for protection. He is your mighty fortress. He is your buckler. He is before you. He is behind you. He's by your sides. 
you're surrounded by Almighty God. Do you believe that? There should be peace in your heart because God is your protector and your warrior fighting on your behalf. He hurled large hailstones down on them. By the way, this whole story of the Israelites conquering Canaan sounds very gruesome. They were to go in and slaughter everyone. That sounds really bad. But can I point out something you've never heard before? Genesis chapter 15, 16. God was, was telling Abram ahead of time what was going to happen to all of his descendants. And he told them they're going to be slaves uh, in Egypt. But he says, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, meaning Canaan, the land of Canaan, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now, what does that mean? It means that God had been reaching out to the Amorites, telling them who he is. And how do we know the message got out there? Well, we know because Rahab, earlier in Joshua, Joshua 2, says, we've heard of the story of how God brought you across the Red Sea 38 years ago, and we've been melting in fear, and I believe. Rahab believed in God. The Amorites had a chance to believe in God. But guess what? They kept on sinning stubbornly, wickedly, evilly. They kept on going in their course of rejecting God, who was reaching out to them and revealing himself to them. They would have nothing to do with God. And how many years was God patient with them and waiting for them to repent? And how many years were they piling sin upon sin upon sin until their sin was full? The answer is 430 years. God had grace upon the Amorites for 430 years. They could have repented. They could have trusted in God. But because they kept on sinning, judgment came upon them. Judgment came upon them in the form of huge hailstones from heaven crushing them to death. Now isn't this interesting? Because Jesus said something similar. He said, the builders have rejected the cornerstone. And in essence, he said, fall upon this rock. He's the rock. If you fall upon Jesus in brokenness and confess that you are a sinner and you need Jesus, you'll be saved. But if you reject the cornerstone, Jesus, then one day the stone of judgment will fall on you and crush you. And we actually read in the book of Revelation of stones falling on people and killing them. Does that sound horrible? Or does that, do you now realize that God has been patient, God has been loving, God has been reaching out, but people have been stubborn and people have been resistant and people have been defiant and people are deserving of the judgment they've called upon themselves. That's what's happening here. And the next miracle is on the day God gave the Amorites over to Israel. Joshua 10, 12-14. Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajilon. Now this is fascinating. 
I'll tell you why it's fascinating. Number one, did Joshua speak to the sun and moon? No, he was speaking to the Lord. It says, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel. Then he said, sun, stand still over Gibeon and moon over the valley of Ajalon. He wasn't praying to the sun and the moon. The sun and the moon were deities. They were gods to the Amorites. And Joshua is saying, my God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He created the sun, he created the moon, and I'm asking for more time so I can thoroughly defeat the enemy of God. And guess what? When he said that, the sun stood still and the moon did not move. It says, so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as is written in the book of Jashar, which is a chronicle of things that we don't have it, but portions of it are in the scriptures. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. Okay, so the sun stayed up 24 hours. And there has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Now here's some fascinating facts. All the ancient peoples recognize an extra long day in the calendar. This is a day that ancient civilizations like the Aztecs and the others have acknowledged happened. So there's a lot of theories out there. Someone wants to immediately poo-poo this and say, wait a second, we revolve around the sun. The sun doesn't revolve around us. What does it mean the sun stood still? Well, a matter of observation, we say the sun rises and the sun sets. Does it actually rise and does it actually set, or are we moving around the sun? So we use these words to express what we observe. The sun rose, the sun set. The sun stood still. So some say this is a poetical expression. Some think there was an eclipse. Some think the heat of the day was diminished so that the tired soldiers who had walked, marched all night could have more strength and accomplish more in the time they had than they would have. But you know what? I believe what the Bible teaches. Again, if you have a problem with Genesis 1-1, that God created the heavens and the earth, you're going to have a problem with Jonah being in a big fish, with Noah's ark, and with large hailstones and an extra long day. I don't have a problem with that. You know why? Because God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And nothing is impossible with him. And if he says it happened, I believe him. I think the point we are missing here is that however this miracle happened, it was evidence that God was fighting on behalf of Israel. There's no doubt that that's the punchline. God will move heaven and earth on your behalf. God will rally all the resources of heaven and earth so that you will be victorious. All he wants you to do is show up. All he wants you to do is trust him. All he wants you to do is acknowledge the battle is the Lord's. 
If it had not been for the Lord, I would have been chewed up and spit out a long time ago. Praise be to God that he's our victorious warrior God. He's a God of justice, and he will defeat evil, and he will call evil to account, and he will gloriously save those who belong to him. Praise be to God. Our God is a holy God. Our God is a loving God. Our God is a protective God who's fighting on our behalf. So now God gave such victory that Joshua defeated that whole hill country area. And then he went down south and he took care of the rest of the southern kingdoms. And that's the rest of Joshua 10. God gave Joshua supernatural victory over the whole southern part of Canaan. And then in chapter 11 and 12, he gave him supernatural ability to defeat all of the cities in northern kingdom, in Canaan. Now we think, oh yeah, and this happened in a day or two. No, for northern Canaan, it took five to seven years, but he did give them victory. When I get back from vacation, I'll be talking to you about Caleb in Joshua 14. That Caleb at age 85 said, give me that mountain. I know there are giants in that mountain, and I can't wait to beat them up. At age age 85. I mean, some of you can relate to that. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.